I think the difference is that the the terms and conditions apply only to the waiver, which is not you know, the core of the of the program. So okay, so how do we how are we able to put Medicaid recipients and we're expanding the Medicaid, we're putting people who would normally be in the Medicaid population, we're putting them on private insurance. Is that under the scope of the waiver? Putting them onto private insurance is under the scope of the waiver. The expansion is under the authority of a state plan amendment. So it's the combination I think the error that the analyst made was to assume that the Healthcare Independence Act was represented in whole in the waiver. When in it fact, references, it's a combination, it certainly references it, but in, in fact, the, the Healthcare Independence Act is represented as a combination of the waiver uh, and the state plan amendment. And it's, in this case, the state plan amendment that, that uh, you know, that would dominate, that, that governs the question of whether someone is covered or not. And that's, of course, where all the spending would come from. I, what I would be interested in is to to find out, you know, things like on page three of the terms and condition specifically says that that if the funding from the federal government decreases, that there will be a revenue neutral. I can give you the provision. On pay on it's uh, under paragraph four, um, really paragraph A, four uh, A, on page three, specifically says that there will be it'll be revenue neutral. Um, it, let me just. Just read it for folks who aren't able to flip to that. It says, to the extent that change in federal law, regulation, or policy requires either a reduction or increase in federal financial participation for expenditures made under this demonstration, the state must, must adopt, subject to CMS approval, a modified budget neutrality agreement, as well as a modified allotment neutrality worksheet for the dem uh, worksheet agreement will be effective upon the implementation of the change. So what I would want to know is if the, the federal contribution reduces or if situations change and insurance continues to go through the roof, whether we're going to be as a state on the hook, if these terms and conditions are applicable, and I know that's questionable, I question that, but if, we're, if we are required to be under these terms and conditions, does this mean that we pay more out of our pockets or we pay a penalty? It would mean that we have the option of, of uh, eliminating the whole program through the state plan amendment. So if that circumstance were to arise or if we believe it would arise and we have the luxury in the private option of knowing in advance whether those costs will go up because premiums are announced months before they go into effect. That will happen again uh, here in roughly October in the next open enrollment. Uh, so we'd have plenty of time to change the state plan amendment if if that was what the will of the state uh, uh, was. So so and when we in that case the state plan amendment would dominate and and not not section or not term and condition number seven. So we pass a law that says if federal contribution reduces, this is done. This is over with. And then we within that law we say you all go get a waiver that fits within the scope of what we're trying to do with this bill. Then we get that, that waiver and we come back with approval that says, hey, we can change the funding amount at any time. If the law changes, we change it. You pick up the difference. Now, you don't, don't you see how we would see that as a bit inconsistent? Well, I, I do certainly understand the source of confusion here. And, and, the, and, the, um, and it's, I do understand how easy it would be to, uh, to look at the act, believe that it all of it had to be achieved through a waiver, 
uh, and look at the waiver and then assume all that's in there, I do understand that confusion. That, I mean, that's not how it's constructed, but I do understand the source of confusion, yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Representative Ballinger, and um, I so appreciate your desire to help us understand this, and I realize that you have not had this material. What, do you think that you would be available on uh, next Friday uh, when we have our regular public health meeting, to, or would that give you enough time? I think that would give us enough time. All right. Uh, well, let me, let's let do that. Sure and remember, remember that, ladies and gentlemen, and I am going to both. I have two more people on the on the queue, and I'm going to let them ask questions, but remember that uh, a week from tomorrow, they'll come back and they'll explain all of this, and uh, uh, I, I think we'll all, uh, we'll all be appreciative for that information. All right, next on the list is um, uh, Ms. Uh, Representative Harris, you're recognized. Thank you, Madam, Madam Chair. So I'm just to make sure, I've got two questions when I tweet. I want to make sure I'm giving correct information. Um, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to lie. Um, what was your job when Governor Sebelius was governor in Kansas? I would have had uh, at least two jobs at the time she was governor. Uh, one is an uh, employee of a, pr a private nonprofit uh, research institution, Kansas Health Institute. Uh, and then as an employee of the Kansas Health Policy Authority, uh, which was uh, uh, under the direction, I was actually under the direction authority of, a, of an independent board appointed by various um, uh, elected officials. Uh, and uh, when I can't recall if I became executive director while she was still governor or not, uh, if I did, I would have reported directly to that board. Okay, and you worked on Medicaid issues because that's what you've Correct, I ran the state employee health plan the and the Medicaid program, yes. Okay. I'm going to skip the one question that has to do with uh, what CFA has done, but I'm going to go back to the question that I had earlier from previous. If we don't fund this, and here's the preface of the question, as an executive of my company, a very small company, but if I was Donald Trump of a big company and I said, you know what? Employees, I don't like the way you're running it. I want you to fix it. So what, in, what we may, in essence, do in February is say, you know what? We don't like the private option, and we're not going to fund it. So then, as an executive, it comes back to you, and I want to know kind of, do you have a plan in action? What are your plans to do? Because I'm hearing a lot of, when I say that, I'm not going to vote for it. Well, what's your plan? What's your plan? Well, I want to know what your plan is if we don't fund the private option. Representative Harris, let me just say that, I mean, it would, be, it would have to be all of our plans because there's significant money involved. I think um, you heard from the budget office that I think their figure was $89 million. So I don't, I mean, if you were to say Medicaid will take that entire hit, we could probably come up with a plan. But I don't know that, I've not heard that any decision like that has been made, that were you, were you not to fund the plan, that everything would come out of Medicaid. So I, I, it's, just, it's, it's frankly beyond the scope of what we do to, to tell you overall what the plan would be. We, we can tell you what would happen in Medicaid, but ultimately what happens in Medicaid depends on how much money you're, you allot to us. So, I mean, like in committee and during the session, we we're talking about in the spending bill, we can take the private option portion out of it 
and still fund DHS and let it go as a department? Do you still agree with that? You, you would have to have a, because it's, you would have to have a new Medicaid budget. There's not a piece of the Medicaid budget that you just take out. How quickly could you get that done? Could you write a new budget? Mm -hmm. uh, it wouldn't take that long, but again, we'd have to know how much money we have to work with. Okay, so it's something we could do in the fiscal session if we don't fund the private option. Right, yeah, if you don't fund it, we would, I think we would all have to quickly decide what then. But there is a plan B, so it's not like the end of the world is going to happen if we don't fund the private option. I know that's not the scenario yeah. you want. I mean, right. I'm not right. asking uh, yeah, that I mean, question. Ultimately, you would go back more toward what you had before, which was a traditional Medicaid program with more people on the traditional Medicaid program, unless you didn't want to offer people with breast cancer coverage, and I'm assuming that's not... I mean, people would want to put those categories back in place. Right. Okay. And, and we'd have to say, and are there Medicaid programs that we'd need to cut, or for you all working with the governor to find other revenues to offset the fact that... Because there's significant savings to Medicaid due to having the private option in place. Okay. If we don't have it, we either make deep cuts in Medicaid or the money has to be found somewhere. I think we can do that. So, all right, thank you very much. Uh, Chairman Burris. Hey, Representative Harris. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, just going to say one thing. I think they're fair questions, but I do think it's fair. And I'm saying this partially because I haven't said a lot, but I, we're going to set a committee meeting Senator Bledsoe was working on it where they're going to come back and review this information and be able to present, not not just have it dropped in their laps here. I, I think they're... But I, I guess all I was going to say is I, I think your point are, are fair, but yeah, it, they are the administrators of an agency. I, I think, you know, if you're an... Av there's obviously, I don't even know if it's the elephant in the room, it's just the fact. I mean, you're either an advocate of the private option or you're not an advocate of the private option. And so, I mean, I, I think if you're not an advocate, it's not really their job to develop the plan based on your vote. It's, the, it's your job to develop a plan based on how you vote. Can I make a comment since you've said that to me? Yes, sir. I've got it. Yes, sir. As a boss or an executive of my small company of 35 employees, what I'm trying to say is if there's something I don't like going on in the company, I go to my employees and I tell them, you better fix it or you're gone. So I guess my question is, it's the legislative branch, checks and balances, say we're not going to do it, the executive branch. I want to make sure that they have a plan in action or they're gone if they can't think of a plan. No offense, yeah. Mr. Sheely. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much Thank for that. You. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think we've decided to put the health care meeting on the 31st. We'll have a public health meeting on the 31st. That will give you more than two weeks. Would that be agreeable? And uh, so uh, Mr. Price will be sending out notices. I do have two more people to ask questions. I'm sure they'll be very quick. And uh, Mr. Seelick and Dr. Allison, I so appreciate you helping us understand this, and I'm really looking forward to your report uh, on the 31st. Now, we're going to, uh, are these two questions uh, for Mr. Seelick? I believe we have next uh, Representative Hammer. Would that, are you going to be asking questions? I have, a, I have a request of the chair. All right. On the meeting that you're rescheduling for them to come back, would it be impossible? I'm sorry, would it be possible to invite Director Bradford and Ms. Crone to be here and also extend an invitation to the four providers 
uh, I think if we're going to have a thorough discussion, given what's been brought up today, we need to have everybody here to answer any questions. I think that would be possible. Thank you, we'll work Chair. on that. All right, thank you. And then our last uh, question comes from uh, Senator Sanders. You're recognized. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. And I, I came in late. I had to go take care of a couple of other items. Uh, with uh, the, part of the conversation I came in on was was the part where they were talking about sort of the waiver being the controlling legal authority of the plan. I remember specifically in the law itself, and I don't have the law in front of me, but we had very uh, long conversations about the waiver, but also state plan amendments that would be governing the program. And, and in fact, I think we put specific language in the law that said only state plan <coughs> amendments that the state could change um, would be would be those change that would be administering part of the program because I think the criticism at the time was was made by someone uh, from out of state was that once you make a change to a state plan amendment you can't change it you're locked in so I think even in the, the essence of of um, of the law but in itself we completely contemplated that there would be the waiver, but also the state plan amendments that would what would govern this program. So I mean, I think that that is that is that's explicit in the law. It's not implicit. I mean, it's explicit. We had long conversations because there had been other states that had extended coverage and had cut back. In fact, Wisconsin, you know, had extended coverage two hundred that two hundred percent of federal poverty. They cut it back to a hundred, and then they removed their caps. So they're actually growing their Medicaid uh, plan there, and they're shifting people. So I mean, I think that's we've we litigated that one pretty heavily. I I, I remember in one of the Q and A's. So the state the state plan amendments, in fact, do matter. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this concludes our meeting, and again, I thank you very much for being here.